You guys can be seated. so glad that you're here honestly i want to just thank uh um a band for leading us in worship and just an incredible time here we are in a series right now called elephant in the room and basically we're talking about all those awkward truths that are very obvious but nobody wants to talk about and today we're in part three uh we're calling this doubt creep and i want to just encourage you if you've missed the past couple weeks you can go back and check out all of our messages on our podcast or you can search us out on itunes at city lights ac Dot org or just go to iTunes and check out City Lights Church podcast. And so uh, we're in part three today, and we're talking about those awkward truths that are, are very, they're very uh, obvious, but for some reason people don't ever want to talk about them. And what I'm talking about when I say elephant in the room is one of those times where maybe you're out to eat with a friend or you're just talking with somebody and, you know, they're talking, they're like all gums, and you see like there's like pepper or food caked in their teeth, and like you don't have the guts to say anything, so you just kind of Start, you know, wiping your mouth a little bit or, you know, give them one of these. But you're not going to say anything, but it's very obvious that they've got a big piece of green bean hanging in their teeth. You guys know what I'm talking about? The, these elephant in the rooms. Another kind of illustration was several weeks ago, my wife and I, we were up at the Tanger Atlas up there in Pigeon Forge. And we were uh, doing some shopping and we went in the store for her to buy a pair of pants. And so here I am, Mr. Dad. We're outside the dressing room and I've got my little 11-week-old, you know, I'm just praying, Jesus, don't let him start crying and flailing. You know, you don't ever want to be that parent, you know what I mean, where your kids are just crazy. My three-year-old's, like, you know, hanging from, it's like monkey bars, some coat rack back here, and I'm just thinking, Jesus, don't let it turn over. I don't care other than that, you know. Just crazy, you know. And there's this other guy who's standing just, I mean, just like, you know, probably 10 feet from me, and it's obvious he's waiting on his wife, and he's a little bit older than me. And um, I know we're all mature in here, so I'm just going to say it the best way I know how. We're standing there, you know, and I'm just kind of like, you know, I hope Ariel will come on. And all of a sudden, uh, the only way I know how to say it is this dude just rips a big one. You know what I mean? He just, I mean, just rips a big one. And my eyes, like, I didn't want to look at him. I didn't. You know what I mean? Like, I did not want to. But I just noticed my eyes drift up, and we locked eyes for a minute. And he knew that I knew, and I knew that he knew I knew. But I dang sure wasn't going to say anything about it. That's what I'm talking about, those elephant in the room situations. That was more of like a trumpet in the room, you know? Just those really awkward truths where, okay, this is obvious, but we're not going to talk about it. And finally, Ariel came out. She, I've never even told her. And we, we left. And, but So I think that God gives us the ability to like, recognize these elephant in the room situations. And here at City Lights Church, we're just crushing the walls of cultural Christianity. We're going to talk about them because the Bible has a lot to say about tough topics. And so what we do here at City Lights is we let the scripture be our worldview for how we determine what is, what isn't, what should be, what should not be. And so we just discuss the truth here. Um, we want to be authentic. We want to be very real. And so today we're talking about doubt creep. And, and one of the elephant in the room's um, topics I think is very relevant in our Christianity circle is, how do I know that I'm saved? How do I know that I'm saved? We talked about on Easter that 
um, if you believe in Jesus, based off that answer alone, if someone says, do you believe in Jesus? And you say, yes, I do. Based off that answer alone, you are no different than Satan and the demons because they believe as well, right? So what does it mean to be saved? How do I know that I'm really saved? Maybe if you're a Christian in here or a cross follower this morning, you've, you've got to that point in your life where, or that moment where you're like, man, am I even really saved? Would I be doing such a thing? Could God love someone like me, a screw up like me, a mess up like me? And just like these situations when we're in the, this elephant in the room where we know there's a truth, we have this ability to acknowledge it. I think also that God gives us the ability to see something and recognize what it produces. Now, I used this illustration several months ago, and I want to do it again this morning. I believe that God gives us the ability to see a brand and to know its product. I'm going to show you some brands in just a moment, and I don't want you to tell me what the brand is. I want you to tell me the first thing that comes to mind, okay? That means everybody needs to speak up. The, the preacher is giving you permission to talk in church, okay? So I'm going to show you a brand, and you tell me the first product that comes to mind, Okay? Shoes. Somebody say sneakers. We're old school in here. And she's young. She's young. But yeah, shoes or sneakers. What do you think of? Hamburgers, Hamburgers Big Macs. What else? French fries. French fries. All right. What do you think of when you see this? Truck. Yeah, well, we're all like, I don't, no, nobody said cars because we're like Redneck Anderson County. We're like trucks. Big trucks, loud trucks. Tell me what you think of when you see this. Drama. Drama. What else? Friends. Friends. Status updates. Sharing. All right. All right. This is a trick right here, okay? Don't answer wrong. What do you think of when you see this? You're supposed to say awesome and everybody claps real loud. <laughs> that was like the most quiet you were out of every one of them. Well, I want to thank you all for coming out today. Now, God gives us the ability to see a brand and to know its product. So it is with our lives. Is it not so we're able to see someone and recognize, hey, they're full of it or they're legit? Now, oftentimes we get fooled. And we feel like idiots when that happens. But that's what we're talking about this morning is God gives us the ability to see something based off our experience with what it produces. I think you're going to see this morning that my hope is this. I would be wrong to say that I hope there's someone in here that doesn't know Jesus. But I want you to know this. I hope there's someone in here that doesn't know Jesus. Because you're going to have the opportunity to meet him today. What I also know is this, is that we live in the south here of the Bible Belt, and this is uh, um, an area that's filled with cultural Christianity. Let me define that terminology for you because it's something I say a lot, and I want to make sure that we're all on the same page here. Cultural Christianity goes something like this, simultaneously or side-by-side side with salvation in our culture. Salvation in our culture, cultural Christianity, looks like this. You're saved because you went to church as a kid. You're saved because you got baptized. You're saved because you tithe. You're saved because you faithfully have attended Sunday school. You've served. You've volunteered. You've got plugged in. Every now and then you read your Bible. Today, in this 21st century, in our culture, 
Many people say they're Christian by default because they're from the South. They don't want to say they're anything else. So you're a Christian just because your geographic location. I think, biblically speaking, the, the Bible defines salvation a lot different. See, what we do is we, we pray this prayer, which often is called the sinner's prayer, and I want you to know it's very important that you pray. I'm not knocking the prayer, but we, we pray this prayer, and for many people, that is the assurance they have for the rest of their life. There's no other evidence that they're in Jesus. No, that, that's it. But if you ask them if they're saved, yeah, it's 13, a blue look Baptist, my grandpa saved me, daddy baptized me, and my uncle's a deacon. I'm covered by the blood. The Bible depicts this. When you become one in Christ, you begin to study God's word and claim those promises over your life. You no longer just look back to a moment where you feel like you got a certificate of salvation. Now, every day you're walking in victory. And when you stumble, which you will, regardless of how old you are or how mature you are in Christ, you begin to claim those promises that, you know what? Yeah, I screwed up, but I'm a new creation in Christ. And that happens every day because his mercies are new every day. You begin to claim those promises. You don't just look back to something you did 10 years ago. You begin to acknowledge that there was a completed work on the cross. And what that means is this, is that what Jesus did there was for Lottie Dottie everybody, and it wasn't good just that moment. It's continual. Your sin today will be covered tomorrow. What you did 10 years ago was forgiven the day you asked for it. This is a newsflash. The Bible says this, that Jesus died for us while we were still sinners, that he died for us in the midst of our sin, which means this. You weren't alive back then, so if Jesus died for your sins back then, he's already died for what you're going to do tomorrow or next year or next week. Amen? I'll just keep shouting until somebody celebrates with me. That's the good news. See, religion says, no, you better work your butt off. You better be at church. You better do this. You better do that. And let me tell you something. If you're in Christ, you better be at church. You better be supporting local church. You better be reading your Bible. You better be fellowshipping. But those are all just indicators. It's not about like the certificate. Here's a good word for you. Knowing that you love Jesus today is far more important than the moment you pray to receive him. Listen, knowing that you love Jesus today is far more important than the day that you decided to follow him. Today. Today. Some of you are like, I don't know about this guy. At City Lots, we let scripture back everything up. So we're going to go into some scripture this morning, and I want us to see that, I want us to see that there is going to be proof if we're saved. And what I mean when I say saved, you're in Christ, you've committed your life to him, it is more than just a prayer. I know, listen, if you're churchy, I'm going to, I'm fixing to hurt your feelings, but it is more than just a moment you pray a prayer. It is a lifestyle you live. It's a lifestyle. It's not about a moment. Paul said, I die daily. I have to die to the things that I want so that Christ could live in me and that he could be glorified. Jesus said, if any man wants to follow me, he better pick up his cross. You better pick up your pride, your envy. You better let go of that lust. You better let go of that selfishness and strap it to your back and follow him every day. Listen, Newsflash, this is going to be a revelation for some people, and it's going to be radical, but it's just simple truth. When Jesus walked up to the very first disciples, what did he say? Pray this prayer and repeat after me. He said two simple words. What were they? 
follow me. Following Jesus today is more important than the prayer you prayed 10 years ago. Not that that prayer is not important. I'm talking about what are you doing today? What are you doing today? So the first thing I want us to look at is we try to answer this question. How do I know that I'm really saved? And I don't want to confuse you. I want you to leave here feeling victory, joy, knowing Jesus. If you're, here this, if you're like right here this moment and you're thinking, I knew I shouldn't have come to church today. I hope you leave here thinking, thank God I came today. I hope you all leaving secure and knowing Jesus more. The first thing that I want us to do is this. I want us to look at a couple examples of what it does not mean to be saved. When we think we are something, when we are really nothing. And what you're going to see here as we dive into these texts is this. Is that for, for years and years and years, the church has promoted behavior modification. Stop, when, you get, when you get saved, what do we get told? You're going to spend forever with Jesus. And that is true. But now you've got to stop cussing. You got to stop smoking. You got to stop drinking. You got to start doing this. You got to do all these things. And there's freedom in Christ. And I, can I just be honest with you? When I came to Jesus, I wasn't just like holier than thou immediately. You know what I'm saying? Some of you don't leave me hanging, acting like you are holier than thou out there. You're still, God's still working on you, He's still working on me. So the church promotes this behavior modification, but what the gospel says, Lydia, is it's a heart transformation. He does something in here that's new. And so your behavior is just an indicator. However, though, those indications can often be wrong. Jesus says when he comes back for the church, for those of us who are in Christ, it'll be like two people standing in a field. He'll come in like a thief in the night, one will be standing there and one will be taken. I think a lot of people have this question, what's going to happen to the church when people come, when God comes back? And I'll tell you the truth, don't worry about the church because there's going to be a lot of people here to take care of it. It's about a heart transformation. I want us to dive in. And in order for us to answer the question today, how do we know we're really saved? I want us to look at two things that will show us what salvation is not, and the third thing I think will show us what it is and help us how to focus. So the first thing is this. Mistake number one is believing you're saved because of tradition. Believing you're saved because of tradition. In this example that we're fixing to read, Jesus is having a heated exchange with religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Baptists, the Southern Baptists. This is John chapter 8, verse 42. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Verse 43, why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. See, these religious leaders believe they were saved because of their bloodlines and the traditions they followed. The same is true today. People believe they're saved because they attend church. They think they're saved because they grew up in church. They think they're saved because their behavior would suggest that they are. But Jesus says that if God were your father, you would love me. If God were your father, you would love me. So what Jesus says here is he sets the, really the prerequisite, the only prerequisite is this. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus. If God were your father, you would love me. I want to point out two things. In just these three verses alone, John 8, 
verses 42 through 44. I counted eight times that Jesus uses the pronoun you or your. Now you've heard me say this if you've been here once. If this is your first time, you'll hear it again. But when it comes to studying the word of God, anytime we see a repetition of words that are being used, particularly in a chapter, let alone three verses, the author is trying to say something more than, hey, I just couldn't think of another pronoun to use besides you or your. So when Jesus says this eight times in these three verses, what he is suggesting is there is heavy emphasis on you knowing Jesus. Not what your pastor says about him on Sunday. Not what you think about him. That makes you religious, and that's where legalism sets in. Well, I think the Bible says this. Now, you better know what it says before you go quoting it. Eight times. So you, you, Do you know him? Do you? Not what your parents taught you. Not what your Sunday school teacher taught you. Newsflash. I believe I'm a trustworthy pastor, but not even what I teach you. Do you know him? Jesus says, if you knew me, you would love me. The second thing is this. Jesus, he points out himself. He says, me, in reference to himself, what he's saying is, it's not what church you attend. Though if you're here at City Lights, I think you attend a pretty good church. I'm a little biased. It's not about what translation of the Bible you read. It's not about the mistakes that you made yesterday. It's not about how you messed up today. It's not about the unclean thoughts that you have. Jesus says, do you love me? Not the rules, not the regulations, not the traditions. Some like this music, some like that. Some prefer to read from this Bible, some prefer to read from that. Who cares? Can I be honest with you? Who cares? Do you love, do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Jesus tells these men, if you knew God, you would love me. Listen, tradition does not save you. Listen, there is no like grandfather rule in. Well, I'm just barely made it in. Thank you, Jesus. That does not happen. You must be accountable Every person in here will be. You do realize that. It's about a personal relationship. It's about a personal relationship. So mistake number one is you think you're saved because of tradition. Mistake number two is believing you're saved because of your behavior. In this next bit of scripture we're fixing to look at, basically there's two men with two totally different stories, and I think they're so relevant to today. And in case you didn't know this, this book that was written 2,000 years ago is very relevant to us today. That's why it's called The Living Word. This is Luke chapter 18, verse 10. Here's Jesus talking. Listen, he says, two men went to the temple. Two men went to church to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat. I don't sin. I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. Verse 12. He says, I fast twice a week and I even tithe. I'm so glad I'm not like everybody else. Verse 13, but, but, 
The tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven. As he prayed, instead, he beat his chest in sorrow and said, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Verse 14. Jesus said, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humble, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. There's a stark difference between these two men and and how they prayed. This is very true to this day. Many people believe that they are saved because of their behavior. I would tell you this, regardless of what your past looks like or your present, Romans 3.23 says that we all fall short. Let me say it one more time. We all fall short of God's glory. On your best day, when everything's going good, you've got money in the bank, your hair looks good, you've got an outfit that fits good, your car's running good, you just got an oil change. And your tire's rotated. You know, you're splurging when you do that. You still have nothing to offer God but a broken heart. This is so interesting. Listen to this. This is good. The Pharisee compared his behavior to the tax collector. The tax collector compared his behavior to the father. I'm fixing to get preachy. The Pharisee, much like many people today who are in Christ, you do realize there are modern, 21st century modern Pharisees amongst us. The problem is this, is you compare yourself horizontally. Well... I'm not really addicted to drugs or I've never been an alcoholic or I don't know why that person takes medication for depression anyway. I just ask God to heal me and I feel better. Yet this, fair, yet this tax collector, this man who knew he was a sinner, instead of looking at his brothers and sisters, he looked to his father in heaven. And as a matter of fact, take us back to verse uh, 11. Verse 11. The Pharisee, look, stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like everyone else. This is the problem in cultural Christianity today. You look this way. And let's be honest, there are people that are doing some better than others. I mean, some people have bigger bank accounts. Some people have never been divorced. And their family is great. And everything's perfect. This Pharisee, this religious leader, this hypocrite said, I thank you that I'm not like everyone else. But look what the tax collector did, verse 13. It says, but the tax collector dared not even lift his eyes to heaven because he knew before a holy God that he was just a broken mess. This morning, one of the greatest things that you could do is stop comparing yourself this way because you may have it a little bit. I almost fell off again. I about did that last week. You could stop comparing yourself this way and start looking to your father in heaven. Then you would acknowledge your need for Christ and how dirty you are. Right? Your behavior at the end of the day, really means nothing. It's here. It's here. Christians are some of the most judgmental people I know. You know, you know this. This is an original question, but you know who gives the church a bad name, right? Christians. Every time I, there, there's conversations I've had with people, they're like, man, I don't go to church because there's too many hypocrites there. And I always tell them, hey, listen, there's room for one more, so just come on. <laughs> the reality is this. 
Why don't you just quit pretending to be something you're not and just acknowledge who you are? And that is someone who's in desperate need of Jesus. I don't care what you think about yourself or how holy or mighty you might be. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. Your behavior does not save you. Matter of fact, your behavior is what often can send you. Don't, don't fool. Listen, you can fool everybody else. But you know. You know and God knows. Your behavior does not save you. Oh, that we would be like this tax collector and just beat our chest and say, you know what, I'm a sinner, God. I acknowledge it. I'm messed up. I'm prideful. I'm selfish. Be merciful to me. Let me tell you something, and I mean this. As long as God will allow me to be the pastor of this church, I will do my best to make sure that we're never a church where we say, I thank God I'm not like everybody else. I mean, matter of fact, the church, I, the church that, I, that I see when I read the Bible, the church that God gives me a desire is that everyone else would come here and worship. I say this all the time. I don't really say a lot of new things. I just say them different ways. But there's a Christian artist named Todd Agnew, and he says, my Jesus wouldn't be welcome in your church because he might get bloodstains on the carpet. That's the Jesus we're talking about here. That's the Jesus we're talking about, the one that would bloodstain the carpet as he came to the altar. We're not talking about the one with the long hair and the wind blew in it. We're talking about the Jesus who was called a drunkard. You do realize that if Jesus were here, he'd be down at the hitching post waiting on people. He never went to the temple complex to find his followers. He went where they were low down and dirty. Hey, post on Facebook. See, that's church, meeting at hitching post afterwards. Everybody be like, I knew that weird church. They meet in high school and that pastor's young and they're weird. The Pharisee compared his behavior to the tax collector. The tax collector compared his behavior to, the, to God. I want to say this again. We all fall short of God's glory. Do not fool yourselves. Just because you don't do this and you don't do that, you can never compare to what's above. Listen, you may have a better job. You may make more money. You may have a nicer car. You may have a junker. To humanity, that means a lot. But to divinity, it means nothing. Your identity is not in your possessions. It is in your father. So, if you think back to this illustration of we can see a brand and know its product, these two things are going to help us if we realize that a mistake is to say that we're saved because of tradition. A mistake is to say, well, my behavior is proof alone. That's not really true. I think that we will see here, as we've looked at these things that often trick us, Jesus gives such a simple truth about how we know if we're in Christ. We're going to look at some more scripture here as we kind of wind this down, but I want to just set up the context again here. It's so important that you understand what you're reading in context. Jesus is specifically talking about those who are false prophets, okay? And the word false prophet, if we break it down to like the most elementary, basic understanding of the term, means those who claim to be something and they're not. We don't have any false prophets here this morning, do we? He's talking about false 
false prophets, and he says they're, they're easy to identify. And what you're going to see on the flip side is that if these people who are fake are easy, then those who are legitimate and real and authentic are as well. This is Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. He says it's so easy. Jesus says, you can identify them by their fruit. That is, by the way they act. And then I love this. We, at City Lights Church, we've, I've started meeting with some people in some discipleship groups and, and just trying, that's something that's very important to us. And we've, we've just started meeting in little groups. And one of the things that we're doing is teaching them how to ask questions because Jesus is the master at it, putting people in tension. He looks, just a simple question. Look, he says, can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Well, no, because that's not where they come from. So Jesus says you can identify false prophets, you can identify those who are real Christians by their fruit, that is by the way they act. Now, I want to make sure that I explain this. Jesus is not talking about a single action here because how many of you in Christ, like me, there's been situations where if somebody saw what you did or they even saw what you did, they thought you were the devil. You've showed your butt at Walmart, you've given somebody the number one going down the road, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. So he's not talking about this single action, because if that were it, I'd have been unsaved years ago and daily. You know what I mean? Thankfully, there is no such a thing, because Jesus said, I've lost one. I've not lost one who the Father has given me. In the church, we would say, once saved, always saved. The scripture says Jesus cannot lose those whom the Father has given him. There is assurance in that this morning. However... So he's not talking about a specific action. You see this theme in the New Testament, though, where Jesus and the disciples, they they would say things like, if you remain in him, if you remain in him. And so that's what I'm saying. It's not about just one single decision you've made. It's about your lifestyle. I'll be honest with you. I don't base my knowledge and my love for Christ off of one experience I've had. You shouldn't either. Listen, If you're the same person today as you are 10 years ago or five years ago or even three months ago, you need a heart check. And that's room for doubt in my mind. That is doubt creep. He says you can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes? Well, no. Or figs from thistles? No. Verse 17. Look, a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces Good fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Verse 18. And a bad tree can't produce good fruit. How many of you have ever seen an apple tree? Not a trick question. How do you know it's an apple tree? You guys are smart. Bunch of fine people here. Exactly. It's an apple tree because of what it produces. You can call it an orange tree all you want. But it's clear as day, it's an apple tree. Jesus is saying a good tree, those who are in Christ, can't continually produce sinful behavior forever. Does that make sense? It's what we call, the theological term is, this is a big, you know, 50 cent word, sanctification. Every day we are being set apart is what that means from our flesh and the sin to God's holiness and perfection. And the reality and the truth of what Jesus is saying here is what you do today should look a lot different than what you did yesterday. Your heart, what you produce, 
And six weeks, six years should not look like what you're doing today. You should be constantly moving this way. So he's not saying that you can't act a fool. I've seen some of you, and I've seen some of your posts on Facebook too. I know you can act a fool. I can too. So he's not saying these single moments. And then look what happens right here in verse 19. He goes real hard line on us. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. And so like Jesus is talking about these fruits and trees and vacations. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa. Whoa, Jesus. Now, it's not very hard to understand what we think he's talking about here. Thrown down into the fire would be hell, which is a real place in case you didn't know. It's, amazing. it's just so hard line, these trees and fruit and producing, and then all of a sudden, if you don't, you're going here, you're chopped down. And so I want to ask, I want to answer a very basic question that you must understand, and that is this. Will I spend an eternity a separate, a separated from Christ if I'm not in him or a follower of him? And the answer is yes. However, we just need to hit the pause button when we see this hard line right here. Instead of being blown away of the ramifications, we need to talk about implications. And simply what Jesus is saying is this. So every person that does not know me cannot produce something that shows me. Every person that does not know me cannot produce something that does not show me, show my glory. I think the most important thing to realize is that if you are a tree, your tree life is bad, not saved, you won't produce good fruit. It's simply what he's saying. And then look, he really ends this so nicely and so easily. We complicate things, but look what Jesus says in verse 20. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. And there again, notice he says plural, because there are times when we act crazy, insane, wild and crazy. Jesus says, you will know them by the way they live their lives from here on out. I think that there are many people who would say, yeah, I've thought the question, am I really saved? Maybe this morning you're thinking, am I really saved? And so I want to repeat what I said earlier, because I think you need to grab this. Knowing that you love Jesus today is far more important than when you decided to follow him. Knowing that you love him today is more important than the prayer you prayed to start the relationship 10 years ago. For those that may doubt, this morning you came into this auditorium. At some point, you shifted the weight from your legs to the seat. Now, you may not recall exactly when that happened and what moment, but what is the evidence of that? You're seated. Right? So instead of looking at salvation as like this moment, I got a certificate. What are you doing today? 
What are you doing today? When that doubt creeps in, what promises do you claim over your life? What is your assurance? Is it a moment in time or is it this present time where you stop? I'll just be honest with you. I don't base my salvation off of something I did 13 years ago. And for those who are churchy and you're kind of like, hey, this guy's talking about something weird here. I'm not talking about good works. I'm not talking about that it takes anything to get saved other than trusting Jesus by faith through grace. Amen? What I'm saying is I'm not going to rest on this one single thing because if I'm not doing it today, I don't know. I don't know. Knowing that you love Jesus today is far more important than the moment you decided to follow him. It could be done like this, said like this. This is a $20 bill. And I want you to imagine that this $20 bill is representation for those of you who are in Christ of your salvation. For those of you who are here and you know it and you don't know Jesus, let this be representation of it as well. So it's twofold. Those who know Jesus, this is a picture of your salvation. Those who don't, this is a picture of your opportunity. And what happens is this. I can recall as a 13-year-old young little boy, I prayed the prayer of salvation up at Hillvale Baptist Church, right up behind Walmart. I'll never forget what the man told me. I even still know his name. He said, you made the best decision you'll ever made. You'll now spend eternity with your Father in heaven, which is absolutely wonderful. It's amazing. But just like many of you who are in Christ, as I went along, they just filled me with information. Do this, do that. And see, when I lost that passion, you know it happens a couple years or months, or maybe it's a long time after you receive Christ. You lose the passion. Something bad happens. You have a bad relationship and life just kind of kicks you in the gut a little bit. You have this bad experience in church. Someone lets you down. Someone begins to gossip about you or maybe you're here this morning and you've been through a divorce and you never saw it coming. Maybe you experienced a death in your family and you couldn't understand why God would do such a thing. Maybe you're here this morning and you're single and you're thinking, God, where is Mr. or Mrs. Right for me? And you just begin to get beat up by life. You start to battle depression and you, have, you lose a job and your finances get all out of whack. You begin to look in the mirror and your self-esteem is no longer there. You just go through the motions doing what you must to make it through the day. And life just begins to beat you down down, down, you feel alone. And then not only when you're down, you know what I'm talking about, somebody in here. You feel like you can't take any more, and then what happens? Life comes right back by and just stomps on you. Do you know what I'm talking about? But aren't you glad there's a Savior who always comes walking by when you need Him? Because what He does is this. When you're in Christ, or those of you here this morning who feel like you're too beat up, He comes by and He picks you up. 
And it takes time. But he, gives, he begins to work those new relationships out. Now he puts somebody new in your life and it's genuine love for the first time. You begin to see that no longer is your identity in those people around you, but it's in your Savior. So you stop comparing yourself like the Pharisee to everybody else and you just look at your Father and He says, you are made in my image. Romans eight seventeen says that you're a co-heir to the throne. And God, over time, begins to work these things out. You're no longer oppressed by oppression and your addiction. Over time, God begins to work that out as you truly give it to him. And your marriage becomes redeemed and restored. And finally, finally, you get to this spot to where your little wrinkle, your little weather, and God says, your value is still the same as it was when you started. Amen. Still the same no matter what you've been through. Your salvation, no matter what you've doubted in this moment, though you've beat up, you've fallen from him, you've fallen short of his glory, you've turned your back on him, you've walked away from him, however you want to say it, God is able to take the mess and say, today, your value in me is still the same. You're here this morning, you've thought, There's no way God could forgive someone like me for what I've done. God says, look, I make all things new. And I can make you new. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, we thank you that you make all things new. God, we thank you that We can come before you no matter how many times we've fallen short, God, no matter how many times a day we mess things up. God, no matter how selfish we can be, we thank you that you forgive us, God. And there may be those of us here this morning who are doubting, do we know you? This morning, God, give us assurance and not in what we've done, but God, this moment, you know us. You see us, you love us. There are those of us in here this morning, God, who would say, I I really have never doubted my salvation. But the reality is this, I'm certainly not working out the good things in me. So whatever the situation in here, Father, this morning, between the different people, those that don't know you, those who doubt it, when the doubt creeps in, God, you give us assurance now based off of this moment based off of your son, not a decision we made. And we trust, God, that you hear us now and that you will rise us up. It's in Jesus' name we pray. We do something here at City Lights. Hang with me for three more minutes. We call reflection time. We just want you to reflect upon the word of God you've heard. We want you to reflect upon the the, the worship that you've experienced. Should you be here this morning with doubt, you have this opportunity to leave assured. Would you stand as we just sing this one last song together?
excited to join us today at City Lights Church. And we hope you found the message to be intriguing, and we hope that you've given we've given you a new view in which to a new lens in which to view the scriptures. If you're a first time guest with us, we're so glad that you're here. But we want to meet you out front, and we actually have a special gift for you, like Peyton said. So please stop by and get that. Um, if you're looking for a way to get involved, you know, please stop by the next steps table and talk to one of us, and we would love to look for you know a way to get you plugged in. So join us back here next week for part four um, in the Elephant in the Room series. God bless and have a good week. Thank you.